the eight levels of consciousness through spiral dynamics lens is uh, you have egocentric, right? Self-centric. You have um, ethnocentric. So it's beyond just yourself. And you have world-centric. You care about it all, all this stuff back here, right? And then you have spirit-centric. And so with each of these paradigms, there's eight levels within, um, as they call them, or eight different colors. And so that beige is really survival. And um, it is just meeting the most basic needs, right? Then the next one, purple, is tribal. And so tribal, you know, that's great. You have community, right? You start to have some, some other unique abilities. You start to have other scenarios that you're appreciative of um, that aren't done by your own efforts, right? Part of a community. Yeah. And so then the next one is power god. That's red. That's when you're like, ah, I'm angry or whatever. And the idea there is that it's, it's completely self-focused, but it's powerful. It's the most action-oriented, right? So if you think about like scale of consciousness from uh, David Hawkins, for example, uh, with letting go and power versus force, um, his is courage is the breaking point, right? That's when you're finally going into power. Otherwise, it's force. So power God is anger, and that's like right below courage, right? It's, it can be kind of hand in hand, but it's still self-focused. It's still projective. So it's not, it's not good, but courageous, courageousness, courage is when you're diving in, you're diving inside to, you know, you push through the dip, you push through the uncertainty, whatever it is that is bothering you or stressing you out, no matter, you can get through it. Hmm, interesting. I have to look this up and do some more research on it. And it's what's what's the overall term of it called? The spiral the dynamics. Spiral dynamics. Yeah, and then and then from uh, from spiral dynamics. Okay, so then we got up to power god. So these are all in the egocentric realm. So then uh, number four is blue, and blue is rules based. So now. Think about religion. That's the level of consciousness. If you don't believe the way I believe, then you're wrong, right? Yeah. Believe what I believe or you're wrong. So if, if you're living in that blue level of consciousness, which we all go up and down this spectrum, right? It's just that it's just kind of the level of caring, the level of understanding is how it's kind of being def defined and the perspective that you're taking. And so when we hit that blue level, there's a lid where new ideas like, being brought forth in earth school might be challenging to hear because they don't fit your blueprint blue print <laughs> wow that one is new and <laughs> from that lens it's hard to be open to others right it's very much rules based so then uh the next one is orange that's level five and so this is still ethnocentric and that's called striver driver and so this is all also mapped to the six human needs structure, certainty, uncertainty or variety. Uh, you have love and connection. What's the fourth? Because then the fifth, you have growth and then you have contribution. Oh, significance, duh, the opposite of love and connection. It's self-focused. <laughs> and so striver driver, that orange level is like kind of the typical or historical American mindset, right? It's self-interest. I'm gonna work really hard. I'm looking out for my own interests. It's a lot of force. Um, yes, yes. Here we go. Thank you, sir. Yeah, I like. I'm a visual person, so incredible. Cool. Yeah. So there you go. We've been going from beige into purple, red, 
And yeah, there we go. So blue to orange. And so, yeah, materialist, um, you know, tends to be more, uh, it's, it's ego driven decision-making, right? It's what am I getting now? Green, that's the first one where you're, you're actually going to a world centric perspective. And so from that lens, it tends to be equality, right? It tends yeah. to be, uh, everyone's the same. Everyone is, is awesome. And, uh, we all need, um, you know, we need the same. And so again, it's, it's a greater consciousness now because you're beyond yourself and you're, you're now thinking about others. But now the challenge with that is that it's not taken into account that we all have a signature frequency for our soul. We all have unique ability, right? We all have different talents and we have different ways that we get fueled. And so that's where yellow is. And so now, now we're in the spirit centric realm and in yellow, it, it's all about, it's called integrative flex flow. And the idea is that you can go up and down and you can meet anybody where they're at because you're not looking at the world as everyone's the same, but you're not looking at it as, hey, everyone's got to fit my blueprint or else I just don't like them, <laughs> right? And you're not living in anger and you're not just in a small tribe or just fighting for your basic instincts. It's, it's all the way up the other side. So yellow is a beautiful state. Yellow is, you know, what's up, Lee, how you doing? I'm going to give energy. I'm going to give value. I'm going to show up and I'm going to ask things about you. I'm going to actually care. And then where that makes sense, we'll collaborate and we, you know, we do stuff. So we're incorporating all of the elements up to that point. So that's my favorite state to live. That's, that's my default mode that, that I, I like to gravitate towards. Definitely do not always gravitate there. Um, but then there's also turquoise and that's kind of the level of enlightenment it's it's when you're perpetually in that state or as abraham puts it that step five experience when you go back to step one which is contrast you gotta know what you don't like in order to know what you do like step two you ask for what you want right law of attraction put it into effect um from a religious context that means prayer right prayer meditation setting out good vibes like it's essentially the same thing under different terminologies right and so moving all the way up. And, and so once you ask, and then, then you actually, the universe is now conspiring for you. God, source, everything is conspiring for you to get into alignment with what it is that you ask for, as long as what you ask for is good. Then from there, step four, feel bliss. The universe gives you what you want. It's law of attraction. So step five is actually being really good at step four. <laughs> it's being able to go into the dips of life, which is you know, one of the whole reasons why we exist here, right, is to expand our consciousness, expand our awareness, expand our creativity. I mean, after all, the soul is infinite curiosity, according to a person on the other side of this. What are you thinking about? Yeah, I'm, I'm kind of thinking where maybe <clears throat> I'm, I'm taking this reference and I'm thinking about all the various different cultures I know thinking about first world versus third world countries, thinking and just seeing how, how this overlays, I guess, as a whole mm -hmm. on our species. And I think it's, it's interesting. I, I know some societies, like going from beige to blue and orange, at least going from stage one to stage four to five, you pretty much see that historically in any country that's now a first world country. 
any country that's been a first world country has kind of gone through that stage. But the green and the yellow, I'm trying to think of examples where we've had moments in history where an entire society has been, has been in the green and yellow arena. You know, maybe, maybe one could even argue that ancient Rome at the peak of its civilization could have been hovering around green or yellow. Maybe the Renaissance era of Europe where art and beauty and intellectual thought was upheld could, can, could possibly be around the green and the yellow. I'm curious if there's ever been a moment where maybe turquoise was a state that was constant by any society. This obviously applies to the, to the personal evolution for sure. This kind of mimics a little bit about, um, anyways, the reason why I brought him up is because he talks about a similar personal evolution where the end stage is, it's, we, we kind of go from um, dependence to independence to, to eventually interdependence, which I feel like is very close to the turquoise values. Um, I feel like with what maybe our podcast or what this conversation or earth school is going to hopefully try to steer and achieve is to get us to somewhere at this stage more so as a whole. As a curious question, where would you think the United States is right now as a whole falling on this, on this, uh, if this was overlaid on our society based on your own personal perspective and your own opinion, where do you think the U.S. falls right now on this uh, chart? I think orange is the natural state, right? It's very much yeah. improved, materialistic, achiever kind of mindset. I think there's pockets of green, there's pockets of yellow, there's pockets of blue, and all the way down to you know pockets of beige. Definitely, there's there's also pockets of turquoise. Um, That's a good point. It hovers because the idea here is is I haven't seen this diagram, by the way. This is a fascinating breakdown. Mine was uh, studying uh, the human dynamics internally is where I learned uh, from. And so it was actually at a date with destiny. One of Tony Robbins is six day, 12 to 14 hours a day, intensive deep dive on going inside. It is amazing. <laughs> it is amazing. <laughs> and the way that they actually executed it is people put different hats on that represented the colors. And so they actually had conversations between somebody wearing an orange hat, right? And somebody wearing a red hat, somebody wearing a purple hat, someone wearing a green hat, someone wearing a blue hat. And it was really fascinating because we spent a couple hours flushing out, like, how would somebody of that mindset respond or react to a scenario? Interesting. Yes. And so to think about it as a, a more global level, as an entire societal level, um, I, I, that's harder for me in general because I tend not to do broad strokes. I, I tend to pull that back. I like to be more specific. I like to be more uh, local focused. But when I look at it as a globalized idea, I think orange is, is probably um, where we're hovering. And dare I say that right now with, with COVID and all that, I feel like we're moving towards green. I feel I like, agree. Yeah, I feel like we're moving on up because people are valuing connection much, much more. There tends to be a sense of uh, camaraderie and laughter and curiosity that didn't exist when everything else was kind of an entitled mentality, right? You go to the grocery store, you expect the person to pack your bags. Of course, that's what they do, right? It's America. But, you know, 
when you go in there and it's like, oh, I see you. Like I was just at the grocery store and I grabbed this drink, one of these little, little suja here, this delicious drink. And there was a guy in there just stocking stuff. And I was like, hey, what's up, man? How you doing? He's <laughs> like, doing awesome, man. Living one day at a time, you know, putting, putting the best stuff I can on the shelves. Uh -huh. like, oh, Thank you so much. You know, and just spreading more cheer like that. I think these habits and this style of being is becoming more and more common within our culture now that people have been stripped away of, you know, the social elements that, you know, we've become accustomed to, to a large degree. Yeah, I remember listening to a NPR radio spot about how modern day America could be divided into 13 separate quadrants. These quadrants being pockets of culture how certain states, like obviously neighboring, and this is all geographical, how certain states and regions sort of as a whole kind of share a similar culture dynamic, certain values, all, you know, things of that nature, and maybe certain, yeah, maybe of those 13, each one of those 13 could probably fall into one of these, uh, one of these categories. But that's fascinating. I'm really glad you introduced me to this. Um, I always love I always, like, in terms of like uh, psychology, sociology, and anthropology, I love learning um, different, different forms of established systems of how, how we fall or how we interact. You know, systems are a part of nature and discovering systems and learning how we fall or how we interact with a system is, is it's always fascinating. Yeah. Amen. So I kind of forgot how to, oh, here we go. I actually didn't catch the, I, I know that um, poor Grayson and his grandma has an injury right now. I guess, is he going to be unavailable for the time being? I don't know. Yeah. <laughs> oh, <laughs> hope his grandma's okay. Likewise. Well, um, I did wanted to talk about potentially astral projection this evening, but I wanted to wait until Grayson was here. However, I've had a whirlwind of a couple of days where a potential new topic could come about. And before, before we even consider it, I, I need to, I need to, yeah. It, it's, it's not the most, it, it's not necessarily positive or negative, but it's, but it's fascinating. And I feel like it's information that should be shared to the spiritual communicate, uh, community as a whole, um, at least for awareness sake. And that is, it's a little, it's a little tinfoil hat-ish. And it, and it has to do with, with current events. Okay. We can just start jumping in. Yeah. yeah and, and, if, and if you sense that it might be getting a little bit too dark or whatever, I trust your inner compass to cut me off. Okay. <laughs> there will be no cutoffs, but there may be pivots. <laughs> okay. Pivots. I love it. Yes. Pivots indeed. So um, I know that this pandemic has been on everybody's mind. It's changing the way that we live our life gradually in drastic measures. Um, I've been curious to see how the economy as a whole would sort of resurface. You know, this is the worst economic downturn that we've supposedly experienced in modern times, like ever. It's, it's worse than the Great Depression. It's worse than Y2K. It's worse than the 2008 housing market collapse. It's obviously pretty bad. Um, we are racking up the most amount of debt as we ever has a, as a country. 
And the question is, that's on everyone's mind, is how do we go back to normal? Will there be a normal? Will we kind of resume back to a, a normal state? Um, when it comes to essential versus non-essential people in their line of work, that's been an interesting determination. Obviously, we have like healthcare workers, we have supply chain, we have um, you know, de delivery systems that, that need to still be in place. Interestingly enough, a lot of people in the content creation world have been still okay. You know, a lot of people that have found ways to, to spread their art and their ideas online established, they have been able to kind of still push forward. But there are a lot of people who find themselves out of work. Um, a, sad a sad statistic I had learned about recently is that the quality of life and how people kind of determine their will to live does correlate to the stat to the state of the economy. When there are when there are depressions or crashes, there are going to be a jump in suicides. Mm -hmm. And I have learned that in some regions, where it's commonly one suicide a week that this that the local police department uh, reports, in one area it's five a day. People are it's so not not even the actual virus itself in terms of how it's ravaging the health, but that of the soul and that of the heart and the mind as well, causing people to take drastic actions, take their own life, you know, divorces on the rise. So I, I think it's critical that as much as we talk about, um, we talk about these loftier ideals, you know, referencing back to either Maslow's hierarchy needs or spiral dynamics, as much as I want us as a, as a species and as a whole to focus in more into the green, yellow, and turquoise, we've fallen very much, much back into the beige and the purple. Mm -hmm. That's just, that's just the nature of the world right now, right? We've fallen back to the, to the base of the pyramid. Um, so part of my messaging wants to sort of give people a heads up on things. This is something that I, I, I feel is sort of important to talk about. Um, and I, if, I would love to interact with our listeners at some point down the line to see if this research checks out. But something has has come to light to me these past couple of days, and it is in regards to this coronavirus. Um, we're we're going to put on our tinfoil hats for a little bit, and we're going to kind of go down this interesting rabbit hole together. Okay. Great. So recently on CNN, Bill Gates has been on the news. Bill Gates has been on the news talking about how his uh, foundation, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, in a way the front runner for creating a workable coronavirus vaccine. That's obviously in everyone's mind. The sooner that we can uh, issue out and mass produce a safe and effective coronavirus vaccine, the quicker that we can quote unquote, you know, go back to the normal way of life, right? get back to our normal way of life, get back to our jobs, whatever that may be. It, and it makes sense. I mean, he's obviously a very wealthy, powerful person. His foundation has been around for over 20 years, working, specializing in vaccines and immunizations in third world countries, like namely Africa, you know, working on vaccines for uh, Ebola and the dengue virus, all this stuff. Um, what is trippy, though, is how a lot of the people have been sort of up in arms about some of this work. And that made me kind of curious. So I actually have been bookmarking a series of links. <laughs> yeah, you have. <laughs> Let me go ahead and pull some up here. <laughs> 
and uh, we're we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna cover some things together. So, yeah, uh, just to jump a little bit ahead here, um, uh -huh. is your framing around Bill Gates in particular? Or are we looking at the macro of vaccines? Are we looking at the internal ops in foundations or in health organizations? What kind of framing are we taking? We are looking at a, po a potential massive paradigm shift. Hmm. A massive paradigm shift that I personally am very, very skeptical of. Uh, and a little, I'm not going to lie, I'm, it makes me very nervous. I don't want to say fear is my first response to this because I, I, I'm not going to choose fear. I do believe I'm optimistic about what's going to happen, but... I do believe that this information should get out at a faster rate. I think more people who are, who are willing to question what's about to happen should be aware of this. Um, for some reason though. So I am pulling up a patent that Microsoft had just submitted. That Microsoft submitted? Microsoft had submitted very recently. Good Friday of this year, March 26th. This is a very recent patent. I'm gonna go ahead and share my screen here. So if we talk about the future of the economy, if we talk about what will be happening, um, recently, so this, this is just over the weekend. CNN had done a spot with Bill Gates talking about not just the progress of the coronavirus vaccine, but asking about his thoughts for the future of the economy as a whole. Now, What's been drafted in legislation as of late are talks of creating some form of e-currency. Mm -hmm. The dollar itself, let's be honest, uh, you know, due to Keynesian economics, the dollar itself is it's kind of under threat. We are printing money at an alarming rate. Anybody can do a little bit of research and find that our, our dollar is not backed on anything. It's, it was removed from the gold standard back during the Nixon era. Uh, we've just simply been using this magical money printing machine for quite some time. And the United States dollar has been the standard upon which the world has been basing, you know, foreign currency exchange. It's been, it's been the standard for how we push the economy forward. It's, it's been, it's been the world's reserve. It's been, currency. The, it's been the world's reserve currency for quite some time, but now because of how America has responded to this pandemic, it is, uh, its future is very uncertain. Interestingly enough, this patent, WO 2020-060606, submitted by Microsoft, talks about a unique cryptocurrency system using body activity data. So this sensor or user device will communicate to this communication network which will then in turn tap into a cryptocurrency system. Cryptocurrency, for those that don't know, is a, it, it, it is a form of currency that the most governments don't recognize as a currency, but individuals and businesses do. It is a type of, I, you know, I'm, not, I'm not a programming expert, so I'm, I'm gonna sound a little ignorant about it. I might as well just pull up a definition. So a cryptocurrency is a digital asset designed to work as a medium of exchange that uses strong cryptography to secure financial transactions, control the creation of additional units and verify the transfer of assets. What makes this bit of data so unique, this cryptocurrency, is any time that it is exchanged, it leaves a type of digital paper trail that cannot be altered. So you can't just 
copy and paste digital money. That's what makes it so, you know, quote unquote secure. There are different formats of cryptocurrency. Everyone knows about Bitcoin. Everyone knows that it kind of went up and down in price. There was a bit of a burst, uh, but there are other variations that have come out since then. The second most powerful, which was Ethereum, there was this huge scandal recently. I think it like was like a year and a half, two years ago, where there was kind of a strange hacking instance. It, it uses a different type of crypt, uh, crypto algorithm than, than Bitcoin does, and there were some issues, but Bitcoin has become the industry standard. So what makes Bitcoin so interesting is it is a, it is a, it is a type of currency that's purely non-physical, yet because of how it's created, it's something that we can quote unquote trust because of the nature of, of how it works. You can't copy and paste it. So yeah, a, a lot of different industries, companies, individuals have been using it, have been trading on it, have actually been exchanging it for actual, for actual currencies. You know, like you, pe people can buy Bitcoin and then sell it for actual money. Interestingly enough, and what makes cryptocurrency so interesting is that no government can regulate it. It is a currency used by the people, for the people, that the government cannot necessarily regulate, which is kind of unsettling for, for governments and the economy as a whole. So Can't going back- necessarily regulate, however, is traceable, right? Traceable. Because with what you're saying, yeah. the blockchain, the actual mm -hmm. database grows because every time it's like, it's like a, a fly that lands in amber on a tree or it lands in sap, right? And it turns into amber and it gets a little bit extra harder and harder layer. And so the further down that it gets, the more comprehensive it is, like the harder it would be to break, but it is traceable. Hence, yeah. you saw Monero on there. Monero is a private uh, ledger, which means that it's, it is also encrypted. So all the transactions are encrypted, just like Tron. You can actually be on or you can be off or same with Verge. There's a bunch of these different currencies. And then also Ripple. Ripple is actually Ripple. used. It's a centralized database as opposed to a decentralized database. Um, and it's utilized to do a lot of currency um, uh, exchange on the back end. So you can actually transfer in from one currency out to another. But there's plenty of countries that have banned Bitcoin, for example. For sure, and like, like Korea. Like Korea, but if you know your codes, right? They're extremely long codes um, to actually have your, your private keys. And then you have your public keys so people can actually send you money um, or, you know, the currency, however you want to call it. But because of that, you have, uh, you have something theoretically that you could store inside your mind. So then because of that, I, I fully agree and keep going around the government can't it can't necessarily stop it, right? It's a distributed infrastructure. You destroy one computer that's mining Bitcoins, that's crunching the algorithms and is holding that database. It doesn't matter. There's all the other ones. So unless you actually got rid of every single computer, it could still exist in theory. In theory. That's you, my understanding. Yeah, you know quite a bit. That's awesome. I appreciate you elaborating. I'm glad that you have already a, a basis of understanding. Now, as you might know, cryptocurrency any type of encrypting algorithm, it does have limitations in terms of a max number of an existing coin. Bitcoin does have a limit. There's, there's a limit to how many Bitcoins can exist in totality. And that's just due to just the math. Yep. And in order to generate that max number, because we have been sort of creating this as a whole, 
we have coin farmers, right? You have the ability to utilize a lot of energy and generate, you know, utilizing very powerful processors, you know, crunch these numbers, crunch these algorithms, and then create a new type of coin. You know, for, for a lot of people in the very beginning, creating these types, uh, creating this type of cryptocurrency, you, you could back in the day buy a, a series of towers, a series of computers, rig them with state-of-the-art processors, and then simply just have, have, a, have a cryptocurrency farm. You could generate them. It does take a lot of power. And the more that people do it, the more coins that get generated, the harder or the more difficult the processing job gets to become to create even more new coins. So what used to take a couple of towers and you know, maybe a couple of days to generate a certain percentage over time, that, that processing power and the energy needs is exponential. I talked to somebody who had been doing it himself for many years and he basically stated, look, there gets to a point to where the amount of money you make farming is actually less than the amount you're paying for your electricity bill. So it, it, it's fascinating and, it, and that makes sense. That makes sense. We need, a, we need a cleaner form of energy to do these calculations, which makes, you know, going back to this patent, which makes this patent so fascinating. This is a cryptocurrency system that's based off of human body activity data. So human body activity data associated with a task provided to a user may be used in the mining process of a cryptocurrency system. A server may provide a task to a device of a user, which is communicatively coupled to the server. A sensor, I'm gonna butcher this, communicatively coupled or to compromise or compromising the device of the user may sense body activity of the user. Body activity, what exactly is the definition of body activity? Body activity data may be generated based on the sensed body activity of the user. The cryptocurrency system communicatively coupled to the device of the user may verify if the body activity data satisfies one or more conditions set by the cryptocurrency system and award cryptocurrency to the user whose body activity data is verified. Huh? So you get to earn cryptocurrency, you're awarded cryptocurrency by performing a specific type of body activity that's issued by the user. So I'm gonna to go to a different tab. I'm gonna to go to claims. Oh yes, here we go. The method of body activity, so it sensed by the sensor compromises at least one of the bodies. So body radiation, so maybe you're like doing physical activity, body fluid flow, or even a brain wave or pulse rate of body radiation. Now how nuanced and how specific can that body activity data get? Imagine, imagine you have this sensor. Maybe it's built into your phone. If it's reading your body activity data, it makes more sense that it's wearable. Maybe it's like a smartphone or like, sorry, a smartwatch, something like that. Um, here, here's where this can kind of get a bit very tinfoily, right? This patent number, 060606 on Good Friday, on the year 2020. Mark of the Beast. Yeah, that's what that, that, a lot of people on various, you know, YouTube channels, on social media, everything, everyone is saying this is the Mark of the Beast. Now, why? Okay, so we've, we talked about Bill Gates. We talked about how all of a sudden Bill Gates himself had, who, it, so in, on the outside, it makes sense. It makes sense that we would elect someone like Bill Gates to help out with this endeavor because he already has a very successful uh, prestigious organization that's been working on vaccines for many, many years. But to issue him as a lead, I, I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna play the, I'm not gonna play the clip. But you, if you, if you type in, you know, 
Bill Gates interview via CNN. I'm, I'm, this is to the listeners. It was just like a day or two ago. So we're, we're, I'm kind of dating this video, but maybe like April 26th. You can check it out. He, you know, he, he's very vague about what he talks about, but the fact that um, America as a whole, we're actually, as a government, putting a lot of stake into him and his research because of, because of the seriousness of this pandemic. So we have this cryptocurrency system using body activity that's about to be released. And Bill Gates is talking about you know, the need of vaccines and the reforming of our economy. Okay, interesting. I then found out about Event 201. So this Event 201 was hosted by John Hopkins. And for those that, of you that are unfamiliar, John Hopkins University is probably the premier number one Ivy League school in the United States for, for medical studies. If you, if you get your medical degree from John Hopkins, you can be hired by any hospital around the world. It is, if not the best in the US, maybe the best in the world. I, that, that might be too big of a claim to make, but it's, it's renowned, it's world renowned. They had hosted an event called Event 201 back on October 18th, uh, 2019. Are you able to see this, by the way? Am I still sharing? Uh, yes. yes. Okay, you see Event 201? You could zoom in, though, if you'd like. So, Event 201, the John Hopkins Center for Health Security in partnership with the World Economic Forum and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation hosted Event 201, a high-level pandemic exercise on October 18th, 2019 in New York, New York. The exercise illustrated areas where public and private partnerships will be necessary during the response to a severe pandemic in order to diminish large-scale economic and societal consequences. In recent years, the world has seen a growing number of epidemic events amounting to approximately 200 events annually. These events are increasing and they are disruptive to health, economies, and society. Managing these events already strains global capacity, even absent the pandemic threat. Experts agree that it is only a matter of time before one of these epidemics becomes global, a pandemic with potentially catastrophic consequences. A severe pandemic, which becomes Event 201, would require reliable cooperation among several industries, national governments, and key international institutions. Not too long after this was posted, they posted a link because I guess a lot of people started barking up their tree. So statement about COVID in our pandemic exercise. Once again, in October 2019, John Hopkins, as well as you know, the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation had gone through a tabletop exercise where blah, 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 blah. Recently, the Center of Health Security has received questions about whether the pandemic exercise predicted the current novel coronavirus outbreak in China. To be clear, the Center for Health Security and Partners did not make a prediction during our tabletop exercise for the scenario we modeled a fictional coronavirus pandemic, but we explicitly stated that it was not a prediction. Instead, the exercise served to highlight preparedness and response challenges that would likely arise in a very severe pandemic. We are not now predicting that the COVID-19 outbreak will kill 65 million people. Although our tabletop exercise included a mock novel coronavirus, the inputs we use for modeling the potential impact of that fictional virus are not similar to COVID-2019. What are, what, are, what are the goddamn chances? What are the chances that they, that they hold this huge international event that has you know, different members from government, you know, different key medical players, in, including Bill and the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, going over a, a unique coronavirus pandemic back in October? And this is just a mock exercise. It's an exercise where they're talking about, once again, the need where our government, the public sector, and the private sector would need to partner up in order to handle this dangerous pandemic. And all of a sudden, the Bill and Gates Melinda Foundation 
are geared, they're, 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 they're the front runner that we're all of a sudden placing our hopes in to release this coronavirus vaccine. Now, I'm gonna do a bit more research. And if you or the, or the viewers are interested in maybe a follow-up, I, I wanna get more homework done. I wanna get actual solid citations in. But from what I've been hearing from, my, from other sources and from, from colleagues and friends of mine is that they have been working on a type of adaptable vaccine that's injectable. You inject a vaccine and it releases antibodies in general. So it's not, it's not a one-time shot. It's something that's, it's, it's an implant. It's an implant that's constantly releasing the coronavirus. Now, what has kind of terrified me <laughs> a little bit. I smell it happening. <laughs> what has kind Body of made me a little. Now we have a, a, a vehicle. We have a delivery mechanism to get. It's the Trojan horse of getting a body uh, activity measurement system into the body funded mm -hmm. by the governments to then base next level currency on? Possibly. Yeah. Yeah. The need of having some type of tracking system has been seriously talked about in both the public and private world as, as of right now, especially in America. So I read the news, I keep track on what's happening and Google, Facebook, um, other, other huge data companies have sort of been spurring on these new emergency programs working in tandem with the government to basically monitor and track large amounts of data in terms of like Google searches, right? Which, I mean, this has been a known thing for a while. If, if a certain region, let's say, let's say a small city in Alabama has a, has a huge number of Google inquiries of, I have these symptoms, what does it mean? Google, had, there, there was an article I read not too long ago that Google actually has better disease outbreak prediction capabilities than the CDC does because they're able to amass a lot of this query data. You know, I just recently read that Google has been tapped to, to, um, to basically assemble and process large amounts of GPS data, people that use their Google Maps app, to see if people are actually using, like if people are actually obeying the quarantine laws, to kind of track to see if the quarantine has been effective. There, and you know, I'm, I'm, <laughs> Some of the positive sides of that is, is that if they're able to track data in one region where there's very little GPS activity, and there's also in tandem, a very small number of outbreaks, they can say, okay, this type of social distancing measure has been working. Where, you know, and the opposite could be true, where if there's a lot of GPS data and there's a lot more outbreaks happening, they can kind of, okay, yeah, so th this area might be a hobby, this might be da 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 Makes sense. Not too long ago, there, this was also blasted on the news. The, our, our third branch of government, the um, judicial branch, came under fire for requesting from um, the legislative branch power and authority to basically incriminate those that could potentially spread the virus without the normal due process. Highly unconstitutional. I mean, there are already people who have been on the news that have been like coughing or spitting on produce or trying to maliciously spread their illness, being put in a jail or getting, getting huge fines. Now on, on, one, on one facet of that, yeah, that makes sense. Like we're trying to protect the population as a whole. Part of the government's responsibility is to protect its citizens, right? If this, if this coronavirus really is super lethal and highly contagious, you don't want some ill-willed, dumb person 
consciously spreading it out as fast as they can. They would be deemed a threat. They would be deemed a threat to, to our fellow citizens, to, to our fellow man, to fellow mankind, whatever, right? To the population as a whole. If they are not obeying the laws, if they're not being, you know, decent, decent common sense, <clears throat> then somebody else, I guess, should step in. If someone is threatening to burn down the school, you get the authorities involved because lives are at stake. In the, in the regard of the pandemic, yeah, that makes sense. That being stated, the government has been passing additional laws in terms of how to handle individual cases just like that. You know, the, not just the DOJ, but other talks, other bills, other little things, other little pieces moving about how they're discussing, yeah, if somebody has the virus and they are either cautiously or ignorantly spreading it, we should be able to take some type of action without 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 um, any repercussion because it's for the good of the people. Arrest, detain, remove that individual for the safety of the whole. Makes sense. However, history has shown that any time, especially in America's history, any time we have experienced anything that threatened our population as a whole, whether it was World War II, whether it was the Great Depression of 1920, or even as recent as 9-11, some major catastrophic event, the federal government increases in power. They get new laws, new legislation, new, new powers to basically step in and, and quote unquote, help save the population. Once again, makes sense. However, it is the removal of those powers, the removal of that legislation, that's something that should happen, but never does. It never does in any of these cases. After something terrifying or scary happens, the government still keeps all those powers all those crazy draconian emergency powers. I can't speak too much in detail as of yet because I don't have the information in front of me now to some of the other events, but I can speak to 9-11. Everyone knows that after 9-11, we had uh, not just the Homeland Security, a whole new federal, um, a whole new federal um, sector start, but we also have the Patriot Act. And just to kind of lightly give a high level overview of what those are, the you know Homeland Security, they're basically a division that, that um, are able to check in, in, you know, in, within the United States within our population for potential threats. And they have different powers than the other branches do. They have the ability to detain and arrest people indefinitely on the assumption or, or on their own, whatever, whatever, whatever reference that they use, if they, if they deem somebody a potential threat, you know, international or domestic, domestic terrorist, they can, they can name you a terrorist and then arrest you and detain you indefinitely without, without, the, without the normal due process. The Patriot Act basically allows the government to use whatever means they have access to to spy on our citizens. Everything from your credit card history to the library books you check out, obviously your email, your texting, your phone calls, everything, anything that you have access to, they have, they have the ability to tap in and request that, that line of research you've done, once again, for the sake and safety of the country. I mean, I'm, I'm sure you're familiar with the name Edward Snowden. He was a huge whistleblower of the NSA, released a shit ton of documents, teamed it with WikiLeaks, all that stuff. One of the things that really blew my mind was the revelation of a program called PRISM. PRISM mm. started not long after 9-11. And PRISM is essentially this giant supercomputing system that has a back door into all the different major data companies, Yahoo, uh, Verizon, Facebook, Google, and all, all the major different te telecommunication platforms. 
Uh, a backdoor being they can just simply tap it and access the data or it's like it's like it's like putting in a, it's like putting a sensor into a water pipe you can just boop, poke your head in they don't they don't need they don't need another way to access it and this program costs 80 billion tax dollars to run all of which was done through our FISA, uh, the FISA courts the Federal Intelligence Security Administration so I, I I don't actually know the acronym I'm not going to try to butcher it they're, they're basically um, secret intelligence courts they, they, they pass new legislation, they get funding through this, through this FISA court uh, for national security measures, information that cannot be public for national security, right? Because, you know, terrorist organizations or ill-willed uh, countries that maybe oppose us could, could use that information against us. So yeah, the creation and institution of PRISM, this, this supercomputing system that basically can, can extract and keep hold of your entire life that's that's online every every single text message phone call email, whatever all of it it's all it's all traceable and it's all compact this 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 80 billion dollar year program it was instituted to to basically root out terrorists and what edward Snowden was was basically saying is after almost a decade of it existing it had failed to catch even one terrorist yet it was still yes yet it was still collecting and spying on all Americans. Sadly, after all these reveals, the federal government, um, you know, our, our, none of the branches have done anything to rid ourselves of that program, even though it's costing the taxpayers billions of dollars and it's not really protecting us in, in that sense, it's, it's gotten even more draconian. So I, I know this has been kind of a long roundabout, but I'm talking about this in reference to the coronavirus thing. There has been talks about for the safety of America and our population and our future, we need to be able to create, uh, keep track of individuals that have either had the coronavirus and have antibodies or have not been infected as a safety measure. This person has the coronavirus, has the antibodies. This person has the coronavirus and is currently active and infectious. This person has never had the coronavirus. There's already several countries like China. China actually is right now utilizing a special type of code technology in their phones where uh, the person is mandated by the government to put in this code in the phone stating whether or not they had the coronavirus. And then this phone, this, this, like, this like code, the way that it interacts, I don't know if it's Bluetooth or some type of wireless communication, can interact with certain sensors for certain public places or the locations that can, either, that can either grant or prevent you access. So if the survival of our population is going to be handling this coronavirus through the use of the super technology, well, that, that is kind of what I was referencing to the very beginning about emerging into a new paradigm, a new way of life. Imagine a world where you are mandated to have some type of sensor, some type of certi certifi certification, something stating that, yes, I had the coronavirus and I survived, or no, I've never had it, I'm potentially, I'm potentially vulnerable to it. And it could dictate the way that you interact with public locations and with other people socially forever so yeah kind of weird fascinating stuff a lot of a lot of interesting things are in motion i i am definitely kind of spinning some wheels right now throwing out some dots trying to make a loose connection i don't want to do that to the listeners i i'm i'm just issuing things out for food for thought i feel like we need to do more research we need to stay vigilant i don't want to live in a future where i am branded essentially 
Um, I don't want to live in a future where I'm completely monitored all the time, even though we sort of are because we all have a smartphone. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's, it's going to get interesting. This year is going to be very interesting. And what fascinates me the most is that there is a large portion of the population that is sort of wary of what's about to happen, of what's going on. A lot of people are blowing up Bill Gates' social media, calling him like a pawn of the Antichrist and stuff like that. It's just crazy, dude. Not, not saying that it is. And I, and I don't want to create false flags. I don't want to start fires that they don't need to be. But at the same time, I've always been wary of our government. And that's not, that's not me being some like, I'm not some alt-right extremist. I'm not an alt-right extremist. I'm not anti-government. I'm, I'm none of that stuff. But let's, let's be fair. The government has betrayed the public's trust numerous times, numerous times. And something like this, where there's this invisible force that can kill you, where it's like, it, it's changing the way you live your life. And I'm, I'm referencing this virus. Yeah, nobody wants to die a horrible death. Nobody wants to just die all of a sudden due to this like, pandemic, like, you know, dying of a pandemic like this is, is a terrible way to go. For most of us, we are gonna want some measure of safety. And there's going to be a good chunk of our population that might get this vaccine, that might get this vaccine, whether, whether it's in the form of a shot, whether it's some type of embeddable medical device that can distribute the antibodies regularly, or whether it's, whether it's carrying around some federally mandated ID that has your entire medical history on it so that you don't, so if you are a potential carrier or if you've never experienced it before and you could catch it and die, uh, you can avoid it. You can avoid spreading it or you can avoid catching it. So yeah, this is this is this potential new world that we are emerging into. So on you know on this John Hopkins event 201 page, I just simply click the hashtag, which goes to the Twitter. And the Twitter page itself is just blowing up. I don't, I don't even know if it's gonna load. Maybe it will. It's been loading with all these posts in in, in reference to what, what's happening. You know, like the real reason for face mask and former times slaves had to wear a mouth mask and now we. Yeah, eh. I'm, that, that's obviously kind of a long stretch. The face masks, to some degree, have been shown to prevent the spread. They don't, they don't prevent your ability to catch it. The, 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 the virus itself, the airborne virus itself, can go through almost any material. But if you do have the coronavirus and you're wearing a, a certified mask, like the right type of mask, you can prevent the spread. Yeah, sure. Uh, you know, this link, Pandemic 1, uh, this, this, this got leaked out, but I guess at event two, you know, 201, they, they, they referenced how there's going to be multiple pandemics and pandemic one was leaked out. Interestingly enough, I, I found um, this link, let's see, this was posted recently. Oh, maybe it got deleted. They were talking about, um, here we go. I'm gonna see if I can play this video through Zoom. <laughs> can, you, can you hear this, Tyler? Lightly. All right, you might, have to, you might have to hear it through my, through my microphone. So this was a clip on CNN. And here is, I, I'm trying to remember specifically who this person is, but they're asking, they're asking her about the structure, the government infrastructure to handle, the ability to handle the virus. And this is way, this, this is a while back. This is way before the uh, official introduction of the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation. I think that's why the criteria that you can see the gates, uh, I mean, the federal government has recommended. Like, there's like these little Freudian slips um, where it, it almost seems like there, there, there are some pieces put in place that 
are kind of illustrating that this is that there has been a lot more thought into how this is going to be handled than the government is letting on to. Um, there, there's, there's more than enough evidence out there, Tyler, to show that all these various news outlets, CNN, MSNBC, ABC, Fox News, these news organizations that for many, many years we have trusted to give us life-saving information or information that we need to be safe have all been scripted, have all been scripted. Numerous different news organizations where they give the same exact story, they give the same exact conclusions, they give the same exact catchphrases. I'm sure you, I'm sure you must have seen them at some point, Tyler. Like, it, it's, it's, uh, it's, get, it's getting a little creepy. And I know this is getting, you know, this is kind of, this has been more of a darker episode, but people just need to be vigilant. People need to be open-minded and maybe be a bit wary about how this is going to be handled. You know, I, I, I talked to a good friend of mine who, whom you know, and I don't know if I should say her name on, on this episode, but I, I, can, I can text it to you later, type later. You know her. She had talked about how she recently saw this video interview of uh, this nurse at one hospital where she said because of the, the coronavirus fear, they are not allowed to properly do any type of um, inspections on people who have died if they had exhibited any type of symptom of a supposed flu or coronavirus, they were simply labeled a coronavirus death when it could have been kidney failure, heart attack, anything. So it, it and this, it's not just this hospital. I've, I've been hearing stories from other hospitals too. They're, they're talking about like other doctors, other staff are saying, you know, other genius medical professionals are saying, wait, 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 wait a minute. You can't, you know, you, you know like a, a, like a, a one-year-old can't catch this if it's blah, 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 blah. Like it, there's, there's a lot of conflicting data out there. And if these hospitals are mislabeling the cause of death for all these people, then that, that, that's, that's kind of, that, that's a, that's a terrible, that's a terrible lie. Like inflating these numbers, causing more panic. It's kind of weird, dude. It's, it's dangerous. I, I, I'm curious to see how this is going to be handled. You know, more, more stuff. I, I read about how, um, let's see, Nobel, this guy not too long ago, um, Nobel laureate, you know, a, a, a winner of the Nobel award, which is the most prestigious award that you can win for being that type of line of work. This man, he's a, he's a French virologist. So he, he won a Nobel laureate in virology and he had posted several articles about how he believes that the coronavirus contains sequences of the HIV, HIV virus, the AIDS virus. Like it's almost, it was almost artificially constructed which is fascinating as well. So I, it's upsetting. I just, I just wish we had a more dependable source of news. I have long ago stopped listening to, to the mainstream media, you know, CNN, Fox News and all of them. For, for something that's like this life-threatening, for something that's this dangerous, we, we need something a bit more, bit more trustworthy that we can kind of base our foundation on. So yeah, this, this has been a very tinfoil hat sort of rant, but I do find that for something this major, for something this life-changing, this life-altering, I, I implore that people, people look at this a bit more skeptically. People kind of open their minds and people question more. A lot of pieces aren't fitting together in this strange puzzle. So that is sort of what I have so far. Now, I've just been ranting. I've been showing all these little, little dots here and there. I would love to hear 
your thoughts on all the on, on all I of this. You never in this. <laughs> well, Lee, uh, one thing is I love the way that you take bits and pieces, parts and pieces, information strings, and you tie them together. You weave cohesive stories. It's a tremendous skill set. And then you have a very methodical delivery approach, not just in your linguistics, how you actually utilize your language, but your cadence and you're very specific with how you define stuff. Like for example, when it came to defining cryptocurrency, I gave a little context so that we can kind of speed up, but there's, you know, there's hundreds of hours to just even get into within blockchain and crypto by itself. Um, and then that relationship to body mechanics, body activity, um, you know, health signs, uh, you know, there's, there's another little tangent here, which would be uh, Black Mirror on Netflix. And I think it was season two, maybe three, but it's the one where they have the, every person has a score, right? They have a rating. And so every interaction's like, hi, how are you? Yeah. Are you good? Are you amazing? Yeah. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Please rate me well. And this whole story unfolds. It's fascinating. It's a great thing to, uh, to tune into if, if this little tinfoil hat conversation is piquing interest because it opens up the lens of what a future would look like if we all were connected to not just the social but an economic value system that is interlocked. And it's peer-to-peer. It's peer-reviewed. -peer. Peer so if you show up somewhere and you know, you, you are below, like, say, a, it was a one to five scale in this, right? Or zero to five scale. And, you know, certain places, you've got to be a 4.5 to enter. You've got to be a 4.7. Other places, you got to be a 3.2, right? And so it's this social um, construct of how we, how we value each other, right? And so, I, that was one of the things unfolding in my mind as you're describing this, because uh, I got to tell you, I haven't been paying attention to any of, I, I call it the lamestream media, right? I like it. I like <laughs> it. Yeah, dude, for real. Because I couldn't agree more. I just watched um, an episode that Elon just did on the 24th, 424, and it's with the Hat Club. And this was essentially a bunch of high school teenagers who are all hackers, like, every you know race and gender and all over the america and I, I think beyond that's cool and they asked and they they were supposed to have a half hour he ended up going over an hour with them their questions he's like you guys are literally asking better questions than anybody else like all the he said all the mainstream media combined like this is why elon doesn't even participate in mainstream media interviews anymore like what's the point of going on cnn like they don't actually care speaking of which you might find this fascinating bringing up elon musk and talking about the media this is kind of this is more synchronicity is that i was listening to joe rogan's latest podcast um where he's talking to tim he's talking to a guy named tim pool who's an independent journalist really really intelligent honest, trustworthy, independent journalist, they talk about Elon Musk. They talk about how Elon Musk has been in the news, how he had said that Tesla was going to start manufacturing and, you know, giving ventilation systems out to hospitals. And CNN and other organizations have been sort of slandering him 
saying that that he was not giving them ventilators, but instead they were giving him CPAP machines, which is still a is it's still a, an effective type of ventilation system, mm-hmm. like basically making him look bad. But just, it was just really it was a shoddy reporting. It was almost slandering. Stupid. Right. Or or you could see that they're taking car parts because I mean they happen to use the biggest air filters that have ever been put into a vehicle and created a bioweapon defense mode. So you would actually be probably safe from Corona within one of Tesla. vehicles, the Model S, the Model X. Um, the Model 3 is smaller, but it's built on similar technology. So I don't think they have the bioweapon defense mode, but it still is, it's very clean. Like it's 700 times as clean as a hospital is how they defined it when they first wow. went out Model X. And that's just how much of a nerd I am with that from 2016. That's amazing. <laughs> but the the premise is that they had all these parts and pieces. So I actually watched their engineers that were creating these. They they went through and they whiteboarded it of how they actually came to that conclusion. And so they took what they had and they built something. And then I don't remember the source, but they independently it was you know it was a health um, I don't know some sort of a health. Uh, related person but they were just like this is amazing like there's this is a new path to creating the same kind of outcome quality is great and then he just gave them away he didn't even charge anybody he said but they can't have stock that's sitting around you can't just stockpile these things they have to actually be going to use and you know I just uh, I love that that kind of approach can be had where you know, Elon was in a position where uh, they, they were mandated to shut down, but then they pivoted. And within days, the genius of all the people combined in that mastermind kind of environment aligned around a human incentive, right? The same thing that drives Elon ships, right? Both SpaceX actually getting out into this stuff that I've got as my attempt background right now. And also what you know fuels us here right the way we capture energy we store energy and then we utilize energy that's what they're focusing on and so their mission is it's it's centuries out like elon might be the the master architect but notice his language is shifting towards giving credit to the team right the octavalve that came out was able to to actually give the model y 10% 10% better performance with essentially the same parts in a 10% bigger vehicle. So it has almost identical specs to a Model 3 and it weighs 10% more, it's 10% larger and more coefficient drag. Like, what? That is brilliant. It's genius. So that was just a little tangent. We'll, we'll hop yeah. back into this conversation now and, and how it ties together is, you know, Bill Gates just recently stepped down from being the chairman of the board of Microsoft. And I find it interesting um, with this, these articles and what you're presenting here. Uh, 2017, he did a TED Talk talking about a global pandemic that literally mirrors this, right? Um, the idea of this being, you know, some sort of uh, malicious intent, you know, extinction level event kind of scenario that was concocted in a lab, I, I don't... I don't have data to, to be able to lean either direction. I've definitely been hearing from some people that, you know, that's the direction they're leaning is, Hey, look, this is all fabricated. This is all just designed to uh, have a cause and effect relationship on the planet. And, you know, 
Dell, the funky homo sapien says it best. He says, crises precipitates change, right? We lock, yes, we lock in with these new laws, like you were saying, how laws don't expire unless they actually have a built-in shelf life, which they almost never do universally. Right. I had stray away from those, you know, always and nevers unless I can be very, very, very confident, but I don't, I haven't heard of any <laughs> that self expire and, and you're right. So, uh, you know, how much of this is causation or correlation? How much of this is model prediction versus lots um, of speculation right now? Not, nothing factual. And speculation is really all that any of us have because data can be manipulated any yes. direction that yes. you want. Right. As you were just describing with the, the lamestream media, right. They'll just take a talking point and their job is to get clicks. And so on the hack club interview, Elon talked about the fundamental breakdown of uh, uh, the advertising model being the backbone for mainstream media, because if it bleeds, it leads. Right. And if you don't drive clicks, you don't get attention. And so, that's why, because the kids actually ask these questions. And I say kids, there were some that are in their 20s. But like, I, I mean, you're hearing questions from like 15 year olds that are like, whoa, that is a deep, deep question. Thank you. I, none of them are coming up for me right now. But please just check out the, the Hack Club interview. And it will restore a lot of faith in the future, in the creativity of young people in the ability to think outside of archaic systems. I mean, to a large degree, our school system was 150 years ago, that it was created in an industrial mindset so that, you know, you had a babysitter essentially, so that you could go to your factory and you could do your diligence to come back home. You actually got your break just so you could go and do your labor. What's the point of that? Like education to educe, to draw from, is not something that you do sitting still in a classroom or looking at text. It's interactivity. It's experiential, right? I, I didn't do well in school for that exact reason. And, you know, in hindsight, I'm glad. I think that it's a better way of living. And it, it causes me to be hyper curious about what it is that you're bringing to the table. Because, again, you're, you're not just taking, like, Oh yeah, you know, Bill Gates, you know, rich guy, blah, 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 blah. But you're taking like, okay, no, this event 201. This is very specific, right? Microsoft leave or, you know, stepping down from Microsoft, obviously his biggest shareholder still. So whatever, massive, massive incentive structure there. Um, but if, if I look out into the future, what got me into cryptocurrencies and blockchain about, three and a half years ago was this concept that everything that we do right now, like what's the point of banks? What value do they actually add? If you yeah. go right now and you say, say you have uh, $20,000 in your account and you would like to, to get that money out. Good luck. And if yep. you can't get that money out, is it really yours? And then if it goes into this system and then it just disappears, an inflationary system where, again, we print more and more and more, theoretically, I mean, even the gold standard to me that it didn't really mean anything because like, what is gold? It's, a, it's an incredible mineral that has shiny properties 
right? And it, it's an incredible heat reflector and it can be molded and shaped and it doesn't rust. Um, you know, it doesn't oxidize. So like, it's a really cool material, but why is it that that has held ground as, as validity of what currency is? It's only because we believe it. Yep. It's an imaginary game. Yes. Yes. And so the idea of currency, I mean, spices were currency, tulips were currency, you know, cattle were currency. I mean, clay you, tablets with markings. Clay like tablets. Origi- with markings. It was the original form. The original form of currency was a little tablet that said, this is worth three goats. Okay. And if you look at on a dollar, I don't have one handy right now. Do you? No. <laughs> it doesn't say anything about value. It says debt. It is yep. good for debt. What is debt? It's a form borrowing. of power. It's yes, it exactly. It's borrowing into the future based on somebody else's uh, ability to give. Right. So when we rewind back to the housing collapse, I mean that people like even myself, I, I qualified for a three hundred thousand dollar mortgage without any income. I didn't need anything. And <laughs> I almost bought a house actually before all oh four. Glad I didn't. Um, but it's it's crazy to think banks were getting 30 to one. So if they held one of your dollars, they could get $30 to lend. They make all their margin on lending. The 30 year mortgage at 5% is double the cost. So if you buy a $250,000 house over 30 years, you're actually paying $500,000. Who would sign up for that voluntarily, willingly, once you actually realize that concept, if somebody owns a property and you do seller financing with them, you know, they own it. So then they're the bank. You just make an agreement with them. You could do simple interest. You could chunk it up into terms. Why is it that you need a bank that's going to charge double and then they front load all of that interest so that if you look at a thousand dollar mortgage, at 5% interest on a 30-year payment, I believe it's about $100 that you're actually paying towards the balance. And about 900 that just goes straight icing on the cake interest to the banks. That's so ridiculous. cryptocurrencies, the idea of an inflationary currency where more gets printed. And so there's, there's more in the system. It devalues it. Yep. With Bitcoin, that whole paradigm shift that happened satoshi back in what was it 2008 2007 wow. yeah yeah that's ironic while the world's system was collapsing my my layman's understanding is that there was uh okay so you can go all the way down to eight decimal points so it's not just like oh i can only trade one coin right so if a coin is worth ten thousand dollars right now very impractical you know trade but if you can go back eight decimal points to these tiny, tiny little fractions, right? Then you can actually buy coffee with it, right? And so as we, uh, um, wait, wait, where was I going with this one? Well, I think you're talking about a benefit of cryptocurrency that instead of an inflationary system, which is what we currently use, cryptocurrency is a deflationary system. So again, there's a maximum amount which means as long as what is currency? It's an agreed upon permission slip. Honestly. Beautifully stated agreed upon permission slip. So if it's an agreed upon permission slip that we're all using, or at least 
anyone that you want to interact with and exchange value with is using, then theoretically, Bitcoin or any of the other 6,000 plus other cryptocurrencies could grow in value infinitely because there's no institution, there's no bank that just says $350 trillion bailout stimulus. I mean, I guess it was billion, but like, it doesn't matter. It's fictitious. It doesn't make any sense. It doesn't make any sense. Why is it that there is a federal reserve? Why does a federal reserve happen? This is a private organization in which yep. we get no data inside, but yet they- Foreign the investors. Fed, right, the Fed determines our interest rates. Bizarre, wow. huh? Yeah. Like it, it, it makes no sense. So now that we have technology like blockchain, where we can actually have these cryptocurrencies where you can have a moment in time. To me, it was a foregone conclusion. It was just, is it going to be five years? Is it going to be 10? Is it going to be 15? It's not going to be more than that. And the value of a US dollar is in direct relationship to the trust in which somebody has that it, it has value. Just like any other currency, period. So, Woo. Oh my goodness. The idea that Bill Gates would be in it for a power play just for money at this stage of his life. I doubt that seriously. Not um, for money. Definitely but, not for money. But Microsoft with that cryptocurrency, I mean, don't forget just because Microsoft has been less um, personal focused, they've been less consumer focused. They are a juggernaut. They're oh, yeah. tens of billions of dollars in profit a quarter. They have not gone anywhere. <laughs> and so what is it that they're going to do? Well, the, the preservation of a corporation, just like a government, right? A government is just a monopolistic corporation. They're the only things that can actually take from any one of us without our permission, right? Within a free market system, even if there's a theoretical free market system, I still have free choice. If I want to exchange, I get a choice if I want to give money to Amazon, right? I have a choice if I want to give money to Target. I have a choice if I want to give it to my neighbor. I have a choice if I want to support a local farmer and a you know, food co-op. And so where we pour into is what we get, that law of attraction, right? Currency is just a unified value structure for exchange. So what is it that this world, what is it that it looks like? Is it a world that is based on the health and vitality of each of us as an individual? Is it based on immunity, right? Because there's a lot of threads we could pull on this conversation. I mean, Neuralink and the way that, you know, they're going into the brain and being able to get fingers like ro robot fingers to move with the synapses, like our, our interface to the cloud is limited to this little device here and whatever that you know actually can can do and so now it's actually our thumbs instead of our, our 10 fingers that you know we were using with keyboards so it's actually slowed down tremendously so hence why we have voice recognition stuff i mean you heard the alexa going off and i didn't go off a, a couple times twice on just this call and you know what is what is this world looking like because the one thing is for certain is that technology is exponential, right? <laughs> one to two, two to four, four to eight, eight to 16, 
16 to 32. Yep. And it's so hard to perceive. It is so hard to perceive because we're linear beings. We're used to what we can see, smell, taste, touch, and hear. And how we move through space, we can't run exponentially. Yeah. It's hard to perceive. So this even ties it into all of our other conversations about the soul and, and multiverse and, and all these potential realities. Um, you know, the way that the future unfolds is uncertain, but there's some you know, I, I like Bezos, his approach on this is actually when I look forward 10 years or 100 years, what doesn't change, everything else can change, right? But people are going to love people. And some people probably won't love other people. Um, people are going to want more and more human connection, in my opinion, I think that we've reached a, Definitely. yeah, kind of a, um, an expansion of that uh, the striver driver mindset, like that, just, you know, me, 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 I need to win. I win at your loss. I win at all costs. That mentality is it's dying rapidly, rapidly. We cannot, there's nothing, there's no such thing as a self-made person, right? We are all a product of our give and take our support, our, our, our energy output towards others and in reciprocity. There's nothing that happens in isolation. This conversation doesn't happen without you. It just doesn't. I can oh. do stuff by myself. <laughs> What's the point? This is all these new thoughts are happening because of this conversation. That's thank true. you. No, oh, thank you. <laughs> yeah, so man. That's... My rant. What, what's your take on that? <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. I, I love the positive spin on it and the reality check. Yeah. Once again, it's, it's, I, it's, it's very important that we make solid, clear choices based off of facts and data. That's, that's the world that I want to live in. That's the world that we should exist in. So that being stated, yes, keep on the lookout. However, history has also shown that a lot of stuff has happened that's changed our lives forever in the dark. Don't forget that either. Some conspiracy theories turn into theories that turn into conspiracy facts. Um, in regards to your reference, I found out the, the, the name of the episode that Black Mirror referencing with the with the score. It's Nosedive for the for listeners that want to check that out. Nosedive. But what came to my mind is that there is already a system that that's like that in place and active in China right now. I'm not sure if you are up to date with the news in China's technology sector, but China in certain regions of China, literally every part of the outdoor grid is rigged with CCTVs. There are some parts of China where there's not a single place you can go where you're not being recorded or monitored. And China has, the, China has led the world in the most advanced facial recognition software. And there's also news of this, um, you know, Google has this project that they're ashamed to go public about but project dragonfly where they talk about the specific type of algorithm and this isn't necessarily the same thing this is something separate but um there there is a ongoing active algorithm tied to every citizen's unique facial structure so like the face itself is a unique unique id and they have enabled um a social credit system so there's an algorithm utilizing these super advanced facial recognition CCTV systems everywhere 
that keep track of your activity in public. And there is an invisible credit score, social credit score that's given to you based on how you live your life. And who decides this, this social scoring system? The government. You get and gain, you lose and gain points based off of whatever activities the government decides is good or bad. Such as if you jaywalk or if you spit on the sidewalk, you lose points. And look, this, this, is, this is a live system going on right now. And based off of your score, it actually can prevent you from doing certain things. You can actually lose the ability to buy a train or plane ticket to get out of your region if your score is too low. You can be denied public education. You can be denied a bank loan if your social score is too low. So Black Mirror wasn't actually doing a theoretical, um, I, I mean, maybe they went a little bit further out into the future, but this is actually what's happening in China. This is actually happening in China right now. That's terrifying. It's fucking terrifying. Pair that, <laughs> pair that with the fact that there's now a pandemic and China has also mandated that coronavirus survivors or non-coronavirus survivors have to get some type of identification stating that they were either had the virus or hasn't had the virus yet. Wow. I mean, their, their whole way of life is completely controlled by Big Brother from 1984, this, this invisible ever-watching eye off of this advanced computer algorithm. Who's to say that same model is not being used currently in America on certain levels, on certain levels. Maybe not to the extent of a social credit score with, with CCTV scanning your face all the time, but it could be a lot more subtle. Well, obviously we have our own credit scoring system and believe it or not, this is, this, is, this is also truth. It's scary, but it's true. There are a lot of different prestigious companies and organizations that will hire you based off of an, invis an invisible social scoring system based off your social media activity, which is true. There are already programs out there. There are programs out there that these that certain companies can invest in or buy into that if they type it in your information and if you're in for, if if you are poor you know if you if you have like several Twitter, Facebook, Instagram accounts where your name is on there and maybe certain bad posts or certain key terms are brought up, they can say, oh yeah, this person uh, might look professional, has a good resume, but they have a history of alcohol abuse or they party too much or. There's this, there's this incident here where they got, they got in trouble. Like they went to, they went to jail, not, not even officially criminally, not, not an official criminal record. You just, you know what I mean? Stuff like that. So that's, that's a little spooky. I've heard about that. I've heard yeah. about uh, some different systems like that. Do you, do you recall any of their names? I don't, but I, I want to look into it more now <laughs> that I think about it. I remember that, but who's to say that a, species threatening level extinction event like a pandemic right something that is really dangerous i mean you you read you meet the lamestream media and it talks about how the coronavirus is now affecting organ shutdown like people are having seizures and aneurysms and their kidneys and their and their livers and their lungs are failing like what what the hell like this is like some super super virus like if it's literally as bad as the lamestream media says it is and is threatening our species as a whole, who's to say that the government doesn't roll out something like this similar in America? Some type of identification system that's, that's, that's going to be for the good of all, of all kind. But once again, this is, this is back in speculation land. The technology exists, it's being used already in, in different parts of the world, and yeah, it's gonna get interesting. I don't so know, man. why you use DuckDuckGo? Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I use DuckDuckGo. <laughs> I use um, I have I use Firefox with 
certain encryption measures. I like to use encryptology. Um, I, I'm, I'm going to see if I can find this before I share my screen. I use Chrome. I use Maps. Like, I, I've made the trade. I have sold my soul to the Googles. And, yeah. <laughs> and I got to tell you, man, I, when I dive into the conspiracy side, I'm like, what am I doing? When I just utilize it, it is so freaking good. So oh, for sure. I love well, the benefits of them having well, so much data on me. Yeah, I, that's just it. Is if, if like, yeah, I, I totally agree for, for most people. You can be, most people are like, Tyler, you seem like a very honest and wholesome person. So you have nothing to hide, right? You, you have nothing to hide, so why not? And like you said, there's, there's many benefits. There's many qualities of life to using, to using this technology. Look at this though. A sneaky attempt to end encryption is worming its way through Congress. And this is March 12, 2020. So while this whole COVID, while this whole COVID debacle has been going on, Congress has also been trying to pass legislation to end encrypted communication. So what? WhatsApp, yeah. The timing of no, all this. Oh no 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 no. Yeah 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 yeah. It's dude. It's getting. I'm telling you, man. There's numerous. There, it's this is a multi-point. Hold on. Don't, event. don't move that. Hold on. Huh? Let's, let's focus oh. on that. Will you keep that? Yeah. Up? Okay. Okay. So, I mean, Tim Cook got under massive fire when he said, look, we value privacy, period. And we're not going to just relinquish our data um, for any reason. And so they created the system to where, you know, theoretically, there was only one key and the, the user is the only one with that key. But, you know, whoever it was ended up breaking into the person's phone through yeah, I remember that. methods, it's right? The like, yeah, like if you don't have an automatic reset after 10 failed attempts, then you can just do hard, um, hard algorithms that are just gonna run through as many scenarios. It just, it's brute force. It doesn't take that much time. I mean, relatively, I think what, it took like three or four days after Tim Cook said, no, we're not giving you that data. And they said, oh, we got it anyway. Yep, the Earn It Act could give law enforcement officials the backdoor they have long wanted unless tech companies come together to stop it. So the Earn It Act is gonna give not just law enforcement, but just the federal government as a whole, the ability to access anyone's encrypted communication. So the argument that I, I like to use for others that say, you know, I love the benefits, I don't mind sharing my information because of what it gives me. Like, think of it this way. Like your phone, the, the camera, there are certain apps, like specifically Facebook, Facebook, in the background has the microphone and the camera on all the time. Unless you physically remove the battery out of it somehow, it's just on. Uh, you are constantly being monitored. All your data is being collected all the time. So some say, I don't know to hide. Well, think of it this way. Here, here's a fun exercise. Tyler, let's say every single place you go, no matter what, even if you're in the shower or on the toilet taking a dump, imagine there's a, there, there, there's a man with a little camera just recording you all the time. And he has to be there if you're using technology, if you're using Google, if you're using Alexa, if you're using your smartphone, social media, anything. As long as you agree to use technology, this man has to follow you around with a little microphone and a camcord all the time. Would you be okay with that? Really, off the cuff, yes or no? No. 
Nobody would. That is a violation. That is a major violation. How can you really live a free life? But that's, but that's the reality where we're in. That's really what we're in. I remember when I went to school for audio engineering, I had a genius professor who used to work, who used to, used to be a government contractor. He worked for, he did projects for the FBI. And anytime we would like hang out after class and talk like secret project stuff, he would either make me leave my cell phone behind or take the battery out before we proceed in conversation. He was that paranoid. Like he, and, he, and he was brilliant. He knew what was up. Because like, he would talk about how like studying audio engineering with him was fun. Like there, there are these advanced programs with these advanced algorithms that can take like garbled bits of data, like unscrabble into a clear message. It's insane. Yeah. So he talked about how there's technology right now. Okay. What, what is audio data? Audio data is just, it's recorded sound waves, right? So if I make a little noise and there is some medium that can capture that noise. So sound is vibration, right? Like a record player, a record player is a very, very simple example. I'm, I'm going to look up the, the, the closeness. Let's see. What is, look, look at this. This is a vinyl record, right? This is what's carved into the record due to sound waves. This is, this is captured sound wave right here. This is perfect. These little etches is captured sound wave. One side of this edge is the left. One side is the right speaker. So you have stereo. And by this needle picking up on it and reproducing those sound waves, you have audio. Now, take it one step further. Uh, you have the ability, and so this, this is me nerding out of audio engineering. There are algorithms that can take your recording and then create, uh, create delays or echoes or reverbs. So it sounds like, I'm in a cathedral. <laughs> well, if there are algorithms that can make you in a cathedral where there's like echoing, echoing, echoing. Doo -doo 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 -doo. These, these are simple re record plugins. That same algorithm can work in reverse. And those algorithms are based off of distance, time, and space. You can almost isolate where somebody is if you have the technology and the algorithms based off of a sound recording. Now, once again, yeah. So uh, imagine this. A super advanced laser is pointed at a window. I'm sitting in front of a window right now. The window, of course, is vibrating because I'm talking. It's picking up the sounds. Glass vibrates. Imagine right. this laser is able to pick up super micro minuscule vibrations. All of a sudden, if you have the technology, if you have a precise laser, if you have the algorithms, you can record what the fuck that person is saying. Imagine this laser can exist and shoot out of a satellite. Imagine a satellite being able to point a laser to a window, car, building, apartment, Record not only the conversation, but based off of the algorithms, pinpoint how far away that person is from the room. This the technology exists, my friend, and it's constantly going on. Google, Amazon, Facebook, there are mass amounts of servers. They have the storage space to capture whatever the fuck you're doing. So that, that example, that's that silly hypothetical example of a man falling off the camera. Yeah, you get these awesome benefits of Alexa, you know, turn on my vibrating butt plug, but someone, <laughs> someone is in there recording when, what time, what day, everything, where you're at, when you're using it. Now, why is that important? Why, why is that important? Because if like, okay, the, the whole, the whole Cambridge, the Cambridge Analytica scandal that happened, right? A third party company got a shit ton of Facebook's private user data and used it to influence an election. Right. You can use this third-party data, even though it's not you personally. It, it kind of is. 
they can take your data and they can sell stuff. Like I remember, so here, here's a prime example. And this is, this is a true story. A friend of mine, and, and this, this is a story that's, that's quite common. People have certain conversations from friend to friend, face to face. They're just talking about a subject. And all of a sudden they start getting targeted ads on their Facebook feed of the said object. Happens, happens numerously. I have had so many friends that have told me that and I'm like, that's just, come on, you're just being paranoid. You probably put it in your search history or something. No, no, Facebook is, no, there, there, was, a, there, was, a recent, there was a recent article that I researched. This is creepy as fuck. That any picture that's posted on Facebook, when you load a picture onto Facebook, Facebook then on top of that loads another type of, uh, another type of code. They, they're able to implant micro cookies into the picture. So if you were to download a picture from Facebook and you've never had a Facebook account, never visit the website, Facebook can, in a way, keep track of you still. It's that sophisticated. iPhone got under fire a couple of years ago because some other hacker was able to re reverse engineer some of the communication that was happening with the GPS. And they had found that iPhones every hour on the hour were, was sending out this little packet data to cell phone towers. And this, it was a little packet of metadata that had GPS coordinates and time. So that iPhone, that iPhone basically was keeping, even if you didn't have, even if you didn't, if you were using a GPS app, your, your position, your location, when and where you were at was just constantly being pinged and uploaded. Like why, why? Shit like that, it's super weird. Now, this is, this is once again, so why this is, why I'm passionate about it is let's say, Let's say you run for office, Tyler. Let's say while you're in California, Lake Tahoe, you decide to be mayor of Lake Tahoe and you succeed, which you could, you'd be an awesome mayor. I'd vote for you, Tyler. I mean, that's, that's real talk. Let's say you get some more power and you decide to run for governor. You could t I could totally see you being a governor, right? You're charismatic, you're charming, you, you, you have a good cadence yourself. You have the ability to, to incite passion to people. And let's say you're so passionate about the environment that a big part a big part of your um, campaign is you are going to help the economy by reducing the amount of energy and, and clean water that Google and other tech companies, their, their servers use to run. Huge, like these, these huge tech companies, like for instance, in Utah, a couple of years ago, they had opened up um, a new NSA data, data survey center. This is, this is very recent. It's super huge, super deep, and it's got like, oh man, what, what, like five terabytes, petabytes, some, it's some ungodly number of like storage space. And why it was in the news in Utah at the time is because it was requiring like 2 million gallons a day of water to cool down their, their server rooms. Like it mm -hmm. takes a lot of energy and water or other resources to run these server rooms. So let's say the people are getting really eco-conscious and you're like, I'm gonna cut down, you know, or, or force these tech companies to become more eco-conscious. Well, guess what? This is, this is not this is uncommon of a thing. You, you could have someone from that, organ, you know, from that company hire somebody like a lawyer or whatever to pull up this private data about you and use it to blackmail you. There are plenty of ex-politicians and there are plenty of like other people who have stories that are saying, yeah, I got to a point, but then all of a sudden this was used against me. It's a power. Information is power. The most intimate moments of your life, they're on record. 
if you have technology around you and they can be used against you if you were to ever oppose those in power. That's where this gets fucked up. That's where I'm like, okay, we need to like draw some, draw some clearer lines, be a bit more conscious about how I use this technology. So yeah, that's kind of what I'm passionate about. Yeah. So the challenge I have around this style of conversation Mm. is where the neuroplasticity will take me. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Okay. Uh, One of my favorite um, entrepreneurs and uh, he's a mentor of mine. He says, capture everything. Mm. Right. That's why we're recording this. We're capturing it but it's in a very specific vertical. It's it's for our intention and purpose. And I love that idea. I capture voice notes all the time. You know, we've got two pages of, whoop, if it shows up anywhere. Whoop, 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 whoop. There we go. Two pages of of show notes today. The value of like, like a Google Maps, right? Being able to have your location history I mean, I, I still opt in to a lot of those things. Yeah. I clear them every once in a while, but like, it's not, it's not really a tight system. And, and, you know, on a hard drive, if you delete something like with a magnetic hard drive, all you're doing is deleting the record of the thing. It's still there physically, unless you actually rewrite over it. Now, different with, um, with SSDs, right? With the different style of storage but I believe the same principle still applies unless it is scrubbed, right? If the Or microwaved. <laughs> or microwaved. So I guess what I'm curious about on behalf of myself and, you know, the listener would be, what is, how do we, how do we be informed, but yet not paranoid? Ah, yes. A very good question that I've been struggling with most of my life. <laughs> I, I, you know, when I, I learned about this like almost 10 years ago, I've been in this conspiracy game for a minute and I've known about like long before Edward Snowden came out with all this information, I had already had a pretty strong inkling what the hell was going on. Well, I'm not the only one. There are plenty of people out there and I, I would even count Elon Musk as one of the plenty of smart, intelligent, and even powerful people out there who understand that a lot of this can be abused, right? A lot of this can, a lot of this can be fixed. There's always going to be innovation. There's always going to be opportunities for us to improve and do better for the, for the whole. Like, you know, the fact that an app like Signal came out, Signal, which is an awesome encryption, you know, messaging. There, there, there's, 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 there's companies and there's programs out there that offer encryption, that offer privacy. There are, there are intelligent ways to run things. You know, like if, if you have the ability, use a, v, use a, use a high quality VPN service, maybe. Um, there, there's different measures. VPN is still tracking any of that stuff. I mean, Mark Cuban created CyberDust. Now it's just called Dust. And it's the same premise because somebody took out of context information and blackmailed him. And he actually won against the SEC, but he's like, I'm not doing this ever again. So stuff that he wants to keep goes through email. Everything else goes on CyberDust. And they actually, like, they wipe the servers. It's not like Snapchat where they say it disappears or whatever. That's um, cool. Because 
he had a principle that directed it. Elon talks about, you know, setting, this is one area where he talks about government in advance of manifestation around artificial intelligence. Because mm. what I was thinking about as you were sharing this, it, I'm less concerned about what a human is gonna do yeah. But the, the metadata, the data that lives like, again, here's our planet, right? We're looking at it on my background here. And then here's space. Here's the infinite expanse of space. Well, yeah. metadata exists out here, right? It's not about what's happening here. Who cares where somebody's at on the planet, right? But if, if an AI, for example, could track and say, oh, well, over the last... 42 years, this is what, you know, Lee has done, right? This is everywhere that he's been. This is every interaction that he's had, every piece of metadata. Yeah. Well, then are they making value judgments on our behalf, on our behalf about what is either right, wrong, moral, immoral, whether you're in jail, out of jail? Like, because AIs are also going to be income producing. Through oh, yeah. blockchain, through crypto, there will be yeah. a, a bridge there to where there's value creation happening machine to machine. And so, man, there, there's a lot of rabbit holes that there we is. go down. And I will, I'll always remain vigilant or, and or paranoid, but I also remain optimistic. I want to show you something else that might give you a little bit of hope. Okay. So, just as I, I do believe that there are people with bad intents, tyrants, I consider personally Mark Zuckerberg one of them. <laughs> Mark Zuckerberg, I don't think he's a good individual. People out there who take advantage of humanity, who create certain systems to, to benefit on others based off of their ignorance or their need for something like, like Facebook has been useful in some senses. You know, Facebook has helped start a revolution in Egypt, shit like that, whatever. There's some, there's some positives, but there's a lot of negatives too. Like, you know, like I, I could tell like the example that I gave you of the little man in the camera following you around for every moment of your life is very unsettling. But like I said, there's just a, just as how there's something tyrannical that comes up and about, there are countermeasures. So this is from 2018 and this is, this is talking about Tim Berners-Lee. Tim Berners-Lee was the invent, you know, he's known as, he's known as the inventor of the internet, the original back in the early 1900s. Well, he, uh, he's been very upset, like publicly talking about how his platform and his concept was basically abused by tech giants like Facebook and Google. And so this is, this is almost two years ago. He's talking about the development, his new project of the internet 2.0. And it's internet 2.0, I'm, I'm just gonna scroll down a bit and talk about, it's this platform called Solid. The difference here is that on Solid, all the information is under his control. Every bit of data he creates or adds on Solid exists within a Solid pod, which is an acronym for personal online data store. And these pods are what give Solid users control. So users, users of this new platform, Internet 2.0 or AKA Solid, will allow them to control and identify their, their data. For, I'll, I'll have to read some more on this and give you some additional data points. But I, for, I remember from what I last, I read, I read about this like almost a year ago, talks about um, there's going to be embedded encryption with, you know, in this and use of block, you know, as well as blockchain technology. 
I believe there's going to be a future where people can still retain their own data, can still retain control, their own, and like be encrypted to still have freedom to use these amazing technologies, but to not be constantly monitored and profit up, profiteered on. There are so many companies that profiteer off of our data without our permission, which is bullshit. But there are genius, good-hearted individuals out there that I believe are going to give us other platforms, other ways to still interact with each other, to still have a good quality of life, but not quote unquote, sell our soul. So that, that's one point of hope. There's, there's many others. Um, I, yeah, I, I think that as, as the future rolls out, you know, circling right back to the beginning of this conversation, this pandemic is gonna change the way, especially economically, how our species is gonna move forward. Um, I, I didn't say this earlier, but my, my super paranoid, completely uncounted for opinion of what this whole Bill Gates thing is, is that there could be this uh, implanted microchip that contains all of, your, that, all of your financial data. And if you don't have this chip, you basically can't interact with commerce. And that's, that's the whole idea behind the mark of the beast, right? Like that, that almost, almost, the fact that the patent, the Microsoft patent is 060606, that's a wee bit spooky. That's a bad synchronicity that I don't want to think too much about, right? Some injectable sensor that, that does cryptocurrency. Yeah, whatever. Facebook started their own cryptocurrency called Libra. All these others, there's all these other different players in the game. But the technology, what's so amazing and beautiful about technology is that it really is the wild, wild west. No matter how draconian some government institution like the NSA or some company like Facebook gets, there's going to be a group like the high school hackers club, there's going to be some savant or prodigy who can out hack or deprogram any bullshit draconian measure that comes out to exist. You know, like they're, they're, anonymous is another good example. There, there's all these little hacker groups that fight for the common people. So as long as we use technology, which we, which we will not stop, we have hope. There's always going to be a way. And I feel like that's kind of a good way to end this, con <laughs> end this uh, episode. <laughs> Hope in the new wow. wild, wild west frontier that is the digital era. Wow. Wow. Oh, man, this is a powerful one. Yeah? Did you like it? Wasn't, wasn't too crazy or too dark? I, no. No, definitely not. Um, Good. I, I, I like dabbling in this realm. It is, I think, 5% of my consciousness is about the max that I can, I can give these kind of conversations and still stay positive. Yeah. If it starts creeping up seven, eight, nine, ten, you know, it's like, okay, well, one in 10 thoughts now are based on this, you know, what if scenario, I start to live into that emotional reality and, and losing what it is that I actually can influence on a daily basis. And so that rewinds and resets, you know, my, my emotional compass so I love it, man. I love being able to, uh, you know, have eye-opening conversations like this. Um, you brought up so much. There's so much here. Like I had no idea. Um, I, I shouldn't say I had no idea. I just didn't understand to the extent that China was already implementing social currency, credit system, um, you know, the, the facial recognition stuff, of course, that makes a lot of sense. Um, you know, and there's utilizing platforms and utilizing technology, and then there's technology using us, right? Or utilizing us to use the same language. 
Double-edged sword. Yeah. That's all it is. And I think that both are necessary. Like even Amish had different technologies, right? But they're, they're, um, the way that they would determine if a technology was allowed into their society is they would, they would come together as a vote. This is my naive understanding, but they would come it's together. Le- electricity specifically. Electricity? I used to live in Kentucky around a lot of Amish. Yeah. yeah but the idea was, is it going to bring the community closer? Is it going to bring more connections? That's why cell phones aren't allowed, right? But yet, or, or cars for that matter, because it allows people to go away quicker and easier. Um, yeah. That's my understanding. What's yours? Well, they interpret, like there was a passage in, in, to their understanding that lightning or, or electric energy is associated with Satan. So anything that used electricity is using satanic energy. So interestingly enough, they had that belief system. My grandma used to, as a side business, taxi the Amish. They, had, they, they could ride in a car, but they couldn't own or drive one themselves. So she used to make money on the side by being an, an Amish taxi. She had like this little minivan and she'd drive, drive them around. Kind of funny. Wow. Yeah. In an electric vehicle? <laughs> kind of. Not back then. Tesla wasn't, wasn't around back then. This was over 20 years ago <laughs> so yeah but battery powered vehicles have been around for over a century yeah it's just now the you know it's becoming uh relevant mainstream yes mainstream mainstream well brother this has just been outstanding thank you so <laughs> much for for diving deep um i look forward to astral projection on yeah. our next episode I'd like to get Grayson on too to to kind of pick his brain on it. So, oh yes, definitely. Well, brother, thank you so much, man. Thank you for coming on. Thank you for another great episode in the books. And uh, two hours later, what are the odds? Yeah, that went by fast. That was awesome. Take it easy, brother. Talk All right, to I said hi. Definitely give hugs to Mikel too. We'll do. All right, brother. We'll talk soon. Bye.